You may be seated. Thank you, Lynn and Gloria. Um, isn't it wonderful to sing of the goodness of God? Who likes singing of the goodness of God? Yes. Amen. Um, so um, it is time, kids, for... All right, go on, kids, out the back door. Your teachers are waiting for you. All right. So uh, we've got some important announcements today. Um, you know, I was thinking about announcements. Um, and honestly, I really hope that you enjoy them. Um, because what, it, what announcements are really about is about us as a family. You know, we hear the teaching every week and we learn in scripture that our faith lives itself out in the things that we do. It lives itself out in Monday through Friday and Saturdays and Sundays in our living out our faith. And a lot of the announcements that we have are all about things that we do and can do as a family in living out our faith. And so it's important that you both listen and even celebrate and really relish. Announcement arts, not just information. This is life. This is what we do as believers to express God in us, through us, to our community. Um, so the first one is about giving. Uh, giving, uh, just a reminder, there's lots of different ways that you can give. Uh, this church is historically remarkably generous. You can give online. You can give here in the boxes. You can mail your offering in, whatever the Lord leads you to do. And we just want to remind you about that. Um, the second announcement is Matt and Aubrey are going to come up and talk about an event that took place yesterday that is a wonderful expression of faith in Jesus. Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, we were able to gather yesterday at Life Choices Pregnancy Clinic. Maybe I'm not speaking with it close enough. How's that? Am I doing okay now? All right. So we were able to gather yesterday at Life Choices uh, Pregnancy Clinic here in Ojai, um, and it was a great gathering. We had a great turnout of folks um, that showed up. Uh, I just want to give a, a shout out to the donuts. Um, they did their job, got, got, some, got some men there to, to see what was going on. And so we were able to meet with the staff there, see what they were doing, um, see what the work that they're doing in the community. And we're even able to have a live ultrasound done there in the office, which was super cool. Uh, Danelle was brave enough to, to, uh, to show us her baby with, with, uh, with an ultrasound. And she actually has the pictures of, of uh, their child uh, right here, if you want to see. So. And I was, I was stunned because I, I learned a lot yesterday. I learned the fact that they're, even, even with COVID, they're being really creative. They're getting out in the community. They have a ultrasound machine that is smaller than the microphone in my hand uh, that they go out, uh, plug it into an iPad, and can show people in a park uh, that the baby that's, that's growing inside them. It's pretty fascinating. Um, so... They, they're doing great work there at the, at the pregnancy clinic. It was uh, uh, just a blessing to hear what they had to say um, and also a blessing to hear the needs that they have. So uh, if you are interested, there's, there's plenty of uh, opportunities to go and assist them. Uh, please talk to either myself or Aubrey uh, about, about what's, what's out there. So I think that's it. Is there, is there anything that you wanted to say? No, I just, I'm glad that 
it helped to raise some awareness, and I hope that as a church, we can continue to help raise awareness for what's happening in our valley and ways that we can get involved. So that's it. Thanks. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Aubrey. So uh, we've got another announcement about an upcoming event, uh, but we're going to watch a video before I tell you about it. Who's the better driver? Definitely me. Oh, no. Definitely me. <laughs> no. I'm better when that car's actually in drive, and she does pretty good when it's parked. <laughs> Who is more patient? Me. Oh, I don't you, know. Well, you deal with me. <laughs> Michelle. Okay, that was nice. <laughs> I try to be, but it just takes too long. Who does more household chores? <laughs> me. I made a commitment not to um, try to do everything. I do in my me. brain. In my mind, <laughs> in I reality. do. No. <laughs> It's not a chore when it's for your love. Is our house ever clean? No, it's not. It's not. Who's the better cook? If you're looking for an egg sandwich, it'd be me. You are? Yeah, I am. Am I bad at cooking? No, you're not bad at cooking. I'm just really good. Who said I love you first? I, I probably did. did. I was probably in trouble, and, and I said, but I love you. He said, I want to marry you, and I said, I love you. <laughs> it was a better answer than like yes because then i would have been like oh wait now now are we engaged or probably me because i was in trouble for something i'm sure that's what what took place there <laughs> what attracted you talking to you the first time you were like kind of the punk that sat in the back of the classroom so and i pretended i didn't know you yeah he was smart cute funny she wore a blue dress one night <laughs> At the Dairy Queen. What's something your spouse does that annoys you? <laughs> <laughs> it's a trap. I'm trying to narrow down the list. She's nigh unto perfect. There's just so few things. It's hard to. It's hard to think. <laughs> um, it's the right. They're answer. all so minuscule. Leave lights on <gasps> in the house. He turns off the light when I'm in the room. That's annoying. When he sings songs and adds lyrics that don't belong there, or mixes songs, or tries to sing in Spanish without using any Spanish words. I'm freestyling. <laughs> it's, it's a craft. In the middle of the grocery store, too. Who hogs the remote? Not even a question. You can't hog the remote if you own it. It's called being the man in the house. I'm, they are my remotes. I let them borrow them sometimes. That's true. Yeah. The remote is not a communal thing. It's that is private property. I pick the shows. She doesn't like my shows at all, ever. No, Nacho Libre is not an acceptable movie choice. It's the. <laughs> so. Honey? Yes, hi. <laughs> we okay here? So, uh, who do you think is the better driver? Well, um, is this on? I think they even stand together. Um, let's just say that 
your driving has increased my prayer life. Um, that there are many times that I call to the Lord while you're driving for either safety or deliverance. Okay, so I'll take issue with that because Kathy's the kind of driver who in town, she there is no speed limit in town. She just is like a jackrabbit in town and then she gets out on the freeway and she's that person that you can't wait to pass. You know, she's going like 55 miles an hour. But I do have to admit... Um, she probably has more tickets, but I have more accidents. Okay, so uh, who's the more patient? You could answer that. Uh, that would be me. Do you agree? Whatever. Um, <laughs> next question. Okay, uh, and this one, was, this one was easy for us too. Who hogs the remote? I would say in my ideal world, I would have master of the remote 90% um, of the time. But I think it's about 50-50. All right, yeah. cool. So um, marriage. Marriage can be fun, and it can be funny, as you just saw some of those things take place. But seriously, marriage is the most important human relationship in God's creation, in God's economy, and God's purpose for humanity. Marriage is that most important relationship. And the reality is, though, as you look around at yourselves, at married couples, there are a varying degree of success in how well we do it, and we all make mistakes, and we've got good parts, and we've got some maybe not-so-good parts in all of our marriages. That's perfectly normal. And all of us can learn, all of us can grow, all of us can improve. So to help do that, um, there is going to be a marriage class that uh, Kathy and I are going to be hosting and running. It's going to be uh, four Saturdays in March, March 5th, 12th, 19th, and 26th. Uh, it costs $40 for the materials, and we can explain more of that later. Um, it's going to be a very safe, a very non-threatening environment. Um, and so I guess that's kind of maybe more geared to the guys, you know, that uh, this is going to be a safe place to come and have an opportunity primarily with your spouse to talk about relationship and some ways that we can grow together. Um, so if you are interested in finding out more about this, um, literally right after service, we're going to meet over in the commons. Don't want to go into more details here. We'll give you more details and uh, help you learn how to register. Registration is going to close um, at uh, just in a, a couple of weeks because we're going to start this in March and we need to get after this soon. So um, hope you'll join us right after service in the commons. So I just want to make a quick announcement about the book club coming up this Saturday, 10 a.m. here. Thanks. Okay. Um, so the last announcement has to do with Mexico. Um, Mexico, we've, we've been talking about this. Uh, there's Lord Willing, a whole group of us who are going to go down to Mexico in May for a trip. And... Um, I think it's important, particularly because, frankly, there's a lot of people who are new. We went down to Mexico about a little less than a year ago, and we hadn't gone the year before that. Um, but I want to just tell you a little bit about um, YWAM, the group that we work with, and just educate you a little bit so it's not just this kind of uh, generic thing of people going down to Mexico. So let me just uh, tell you some facts and statistics. One, YWAM, Youth with a Mission, is the organization that we work with in going down to Mexico. They began in 1969. 
they have over two, I'm sorry, 1,200 um, locations. They call them bases all around the world. They work in 180 different countries, and they have over 18,000 people on staff. They're one of the largest missional and gospel evangelical organizations in the world. Homes of Hope, which is a ministry of a YWAM base that is in San Diego, is the program that we go down into Mexico and build homes uh, with. That program has been in, in place about 30 years. They have built over 7,000 houses in 24 different countries, and they've hosted more than 130,000 volunteers like the people who go from the Ojai Valley. So that's just the context in which we're working down there. But let me tell you a little bit about why we do this. Um, so, Isla, you could put up that first slide. Um, the need. Let's talk about the need. Why is a home critical to a very impoverished Mexican family? A child without a home is three times more likely not to attend school. So giving them a home can turn that around. Children without adequate shelter suffer more from anxiety, depression, withdrawal, and other mental health problems. One in four Mexicans are classified as extremely poor and unable to afford adequate food or housing. 45% of the 127 million people in Mexico live below the poverty line. And by 2020, over 1 billion people in the world will be living in slums with inadequate housing. So what are the benefits that help a family when we go down and build a, a, a home at no cost to that family? First, there's a, an economic benefit to that family. A debt-free home helps leverage families out of poverty. It's estimated that it sets a family ahead economically between seven and 10 years from their normal tra trajectory in life. Educationally, children who come back to a home that their parents own are three times more likely to stay in school. Health, a home with a solid floor, just a cement floor. There's no carpeting, there's no tile. Just having a floor reduces parasitic in infections by 78%. It reduces diarrhea by 49% and dramatically improves cognitive development in children. Home ownership produces healthy long-term thinking in the life of the family, helping to break the cycle of poverty in one generation, transforming their thinking. And lastly, spiritual. We go down there in the name of Jesus. All the work that we do is in the name of Jesus. The work that we do with YWAM is through local churches. Families are selected in, co in, in cooperation with local pastors and local churches. So the entire effort is done in the context of the gospel and the church. And the gift of that home that on land that the family owns is a practical demonstration of God's love to an impoverished family. So again, we're going down in May. Um, I hope that you will just consider uh, coming, uh, consider supporting. We'll talk more about that as the uh, trip approaches and be praying for us. This is something that we do as a family. Maybe there's only 15 or 20 of us who go, but this is something that all of us are in together. So um, thank you for that. And I'm going to pray before Richie comes up. Lord, thank you. Thank you so much for everything that you have done 
for us through your son Jesus Christ and in us. Lord, we look forward right now to just hearing your word, hearing your truth. Will you just open our ears right now, Lord, open our hearts to hear from you what you want to speak to each of us, what you want to do in each of us. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Mark. We do celebrate all that is happening here at the well, in and through uh, all of you, really, with your giving, your gifts, everything. Uh, I do want to um, kind of reinforce the marriage class that's coming up and um, kind of uh, put some fears to rest. Uh, because he said that, you know, right after service, they would invite you to come through these doors into the commons and just, you know, just inquire, just inquire. What's it about? You know, there's much more detail and it's really good. I met with Mark and Kathy at their home a couple of weeks ago and I'm excited about the class and the material. Uh, but here's the thing, and I know this, so I'm just going to address this right off the bat. Service is going to end and Mark's probably going to re- remind you to come through. And then you're going to sit there and like, if we go through those doors... People are going to think we have problems. Right? Right? Because like marriage classes or something's offered at the church, it's like there's this weird stigma. Like, well, yeah, that's for people who really need help. Right? And, and you know, there's some that, that may be struggling, and, and we understand that. But, but by all means, please, that, that's just a lie. And that's just, I think, even a scheme from the enemy to prevent the body of Christ from being genuine, authentic, growing, maturing, all because we're afraid of what people are going to think about us, right? And, and here's the deal. So, you know, and this applies to, uh, um, you know, I remember um, when I was really young in the Lord in San Diego and uh, at the church we were at, they kept promoting men's ministry, men's ministry, men's ministry, discipleship, right? And it was funny because my wife would, you know, give me the elbow, Right? And, and I had this misconception that to go to this men's discipleship program meant that, you know, uh, I, I remember I got so upset sometimes because she kept pushing me, pushing me. I looked at her, I said, I don't want to be someone's project. Because I thought if I go to this men's discipleship program, they were going to fix me, right? Guys who go to men's discipleship things need to be fixed. And I didn't want to, you know be fixed, and I didn't want to have to deal with that stigma of, yeah, I signed up for this because, you know, I'm not a real man, or whatever, right? And so that translates into many different uh, ministries at the church, so I just want to kind of put that, your marriage might be great, and you can still benefit. Let me put it another way. God might use you as a couple to help another couple in the class, just simply by being friends, because in, in the church, we know that many live in isolation, just Men and women, just isolation. I'm not just even talking being single, but people are just isolated, afraid to share your life, afraid to ask for help, afraid to ask for prayer. Couples live in isolation, right? And so a a class like this, you know, in San Diego, again, we were at a very large church, a traditional church model where they had several thousand people, so they broke it down into Sunday schools. Remember the Sunday school model where there's like 100, so you got to know the 100 out of 4,000? Well, a marriage class like this, maybe... The content's not going to be new, but you know what? You're going to make some friends. Maybe after four Saturdays together, you make lifelong friends as couples, and you end up doing dinner and raising your families together, all because you both decided to walk through those doors. So uh, take a risk. It's just an information 
right? You're not, you know, if you walk through the doors, you know, they're not going to sign you up and close the deal. You know, it's not like a timeshare thing, you know, it's not like they're going to, it's not a timeshare, you know, oh man, what are we doing? Go through there and they, they, then they got us. No, um, and just come through, come through. And, I, and again, I'm just trying to create a much bigger picture than just, oh, it's a class because we need help and gosh, we're going to sit there and everyone else is going to just, you know, please don't let that really misconception prevent you from at least walking through the door. Just walk through the door today. And uh, if you're at home and you're interested, please email them. They would love to chat with you. Same thing. Um, We're just here to help. We're just here to help one another. And this is part of one anothering as couples in the marriage context. Amen? Okay, great. So, This morning, we're going to continue moving through Philippians chapter 2, and I want to just read the passage. We've been focusing on 14 and 15, and I'm going to read all the way through verse 16 today to kind of put it all in context. It says this, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. And we spent the last couple of weeks focusing on verses 14 and 15, right? Not grumbling or disputing in all things, right? And many of you have taken really good steps forward in that area in your life, just being aware of grumbling or disputing. And last week we focused on, we closed with this idea of shining, right? That we are to shine in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, right? We, we're lights in the world, okay? And I was thinking about that, and, and, and another word kind of came up, another phrase, if you've been in church any, any length of time, and, and you know, it says here, among whom you shine as lights in the world. I thought, well, you know, it's kind of like talking about being witnesses, being witnesses in the world, right? And so a, a question, when was the last time you witnessed for the Lord? Just think about that. You're at home, watching this. When was the last time you witnessed for the Lord? Okay. Now, the answer to that question actually depends on your definition of witness. Because, see, if you define witness as share my faith in an evangelistic sense, well, for some, that might have been quite a while. Maybe you never have, as a believer, witnessed, meaning shared your faith Four spiritual laws, Romans Road, right? But really the word witness means someone who attests to a fact. So when was the last time you attested to being a believer? The fact of a new birth, the fact of the cross, the fact of being a new creation, the fact of being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. When was the last time you witnessed? Now it's kind of a trick question. Because you're witnessing all the time. Just like in verse 15, among whom you shine as lights, you already shine. The question is, how effective are you shining? When I ask you, when was the last time you witnessed? Well, even as you sit here right now, you're witnessing for the Lord. See, we tend to compartmentalize things. We like compartments. Well, I'm going to go witness, and now this is my time. I'm on the Jesus clock. I'm off the Jesus clock, right? 
If we're going to understand moving forward into verse 16, we have to understand shining is lights, witnessing is 24-7, 365. Now, let me give you an example in a very positive way of how you are being, you're witnessing for Jesus. You're being a witness right now, right now, this very second, 1037 a.m. You know how you're being a witness? You're here. You're here. And in the next 30, 45 minutes, I see a bunch, you know, I see the cars go by, I see the joggers go by, I see the walkers go by, right here. The very fact that you're physically present and there are cars in the lot is a witness for the reality of Jesus. Amen? That's a witness. You got up. You chose to get dressed. You chose to get in your car or walk or wherever you got here. That is all a witness to the fact of your faith in Christ and the importance of church. Amen? Okay, so we have to understand that, that shining his light's Witnessing is the totality of who we are all the time. See, this is why I get so excited about Sundays, because even if one person came here and there was one car there, it would be a witness. It would be a witness. In the time that we're together on a Sunday morning, there's probably hundreds that go past this building. And right now, the lot is full. So whether or not they're believers, whoever drives by right now goes, wow, there's people at that church. There's something happening there. The fact that there's cars here, they see the doors are closed. The fact that the lot is full may trigger someone, honey, we should get back to church. Because they saw your car. And the presence of vehicles, the presence of people. I'm not lost. You should, today after church, when we fellowship out there with coffee and donuts and cheese, as joggers and walkers go by, just count how many look. They do. They hear the joy. They see you talking. They, they, and they just, they're walking by and they just. People who drive by, they see all those out there and they're like, what's going on there? You. The fact that we're out there, we're laughing, we're, we're sharing lives, we're, we're in community, we're in fellowship is a testimony to a lonely, discouraged, hurting world. And we don't, we don't realize the power of that witness. Okay, so, so I want to broaden this because the Apostle Paul in verse 16 says, okay, you shine, your witnesses, 24-7, 365. Let me help you. Let me give you a practical help on how best to shine, what you can do at the core, right? So verse 16, he says this. Holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So that phrase, we're going to focus on holding fast. Holding fast to the word of life. And, and that phrase, uh, holding fast, actually has two definitions. And the first one kind of is, 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 seems really obvious based on the word holding fast. And it means to hold firmly. Everyone say, hold firmly to the word of life, right? To the gospel, the word of God. Hold firmly, right? In fact, in the New Living Translation, it says this. Hold firmly to the word of life then. On the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless, right? Hold firmly to the word of life. And I was thinking, okay, how can we, we be reminded? And if you were with us a while back, we went through Ephesians. And Ephesians 6.11 says, put on the whole armor of God, 
that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Remember, we talked about the armor of God, spiritual warfare, and the schemes of the devil. That word schemes means, okay, it's not generic schemes. When it says that you personally may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, what that meant was the devil schemes against every believer individually. Pokes and prods, tempts, accuses each one of us individually. It's not just just generic cosmic battle with good versus evil. No, that we're to put on the whole armor of God that you and I may be able to stand against the very specific schemes because the devil knows what gets you really angry, Lynn. And the devil knows what really tempts you. So he's scheming. There's an enemy that wants to destroy your life, wants to destroy your family, wants to destroy your marriage, and he schemes very specific to each one of us, okay? But we went through the whole armor of God, and in verse 17 of Ephesians 6, it says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, right? And so the sword of the spirit is a gladius. Shai, can you hand me that? And there's a picture up there of the uh, soldier, holding his Roman sword, and this is, it's called a gladius. It's a Roman sword, right? It was called the sword that conquered the world. It was offensive and defensive weaponry. It was designed for close quarter battle. They trained so they would hold it firm, right? They had to know how to use it, but they needed to hold it firm in battle. Right? Ephesians 6.17 calls this the sword of the spirit, the word of God. Got to hold it firm because we're in a battle. We're in a battle. Right? I love this quote. It says this. If I were the devil, I would do my best to divide and fragment the thinking of the church of Jesus Christ. I would try to get God's people confused as to who they are and why they are here. I would try to get them preoccupied with other things. I would try to get them to live independently, to think like the world thinks, to think like the natural man thinks in the futility of his mind. In other words, I would like to keep people away from serious involvement with the word of God. I would want to keep their relationship to God's word superficial and secondary. Someone has said that the adversary majors in three things, noise, hurry, and crowds. But he also has a number of cultural values or belief systems, actually illusions and snares, that he uses to confuse and manipulate the church so that it must, of necessity, fail in its calling and purpose whenever it operates under these illusions. The devil wants to keep you away from the word of God. And if you don't hold, if he can get you to just kind of be loosey-goosey with it and not even know where it is, right? And you don't train, you don't get to know it, you don't even know how to hold it anymore and it's just like, "Yeah, man. Yeah, no. I'll, uh, yeah, I'll pick it up." Right? Imagine, we talked about this. We're going to spiritual warfare. Imagine that your officer comes, "Hey man, where's your sword?" Uh, I don't know. Must have left it in the tent. Right? Who would go to battle without their sword? It would be crazy. And yet, for us, through all different temptations and just laziness or whatever, where's your sword? 
Where's the word of God? We're going into spiritual warfare, relying on ourself, relying on what we heard from the pastor, what we heard, what we read, everything but us taking the time and the effort, the discipline, to become well-versed in the word of God ourself. Ourself. And so the Apostle Paul says, I want you to hold fast, to hold firm to the word of God, so that when, when I look back on my ministry, it's success. And that's what I shared with the leadership team here this morning. I said, you know what? My heart, our heart is for you, for you at home, for you listening, to become so well-versed, to hold fast to the word of life, the gospel, that in many ways, you don't need us. That's the goal. The goal is for you to know scripture. The goal is for you to be able to spot false doctrine. The goal is for you to be able to share your faith using the word of God and not have to call us all the time. Nothing wrong with that. But our goal is to wean you off of dependency on us. Because your, the devil schemes against you in your own, your own unique ways. So you have to learn to use the word of God in your own life. Amen? If you do that, we celebrate that. That's what I love around here. When, when I get together with some of the guys and we talk to scripture and they share what God's doing in their life through verses and how God spoke to them, I'm like, thank you, Lord. Thank you, because if we're not careful in the church, you know, and I've shared this with you before, one of our challenges in the world of technology is what? To put verses on the screens. You're like, what are you talking about? Well, I've been in ministry 30 years, and when I first started going to a Calvary chapel down in San Diego, everybody brought the Bibles to church. Everybody. You know why? Because they didn't put them up on the screens. And it was so cool because the pastor would say, hey, turn to, you know, John 10.10. 10, and you would hear the entire two. Whoosh, 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 whoosh. Right? How many of you missed the page turning days, right? Whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. And people trying to, where is it? Where is it? Right? And all that. But technology comes along and we want to help everyone. And so we put them up there. And I just tell you just from my own observations... When the screens, the verses come up on the screens, the Bible stopped coming to church. Because why? We don't need them anymore. Right? And I get that, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but what I am saying is that we can inadvertently be hindering you holding firmly to this because on Sunday at church, you don't even need this. Because we do it so well, because it's so clear, and we figured out the right font for here and there, and the right color, and the right background, and at home, it's called lower thirds, so when I'm talking and the verse shows up, they can still see me, and it's lower thirds, so we figured out all the technology so that you don't need to bring your Bibles. It's very challenging for us. I got to be honest with you, because... When you go fight the devil, when you leave here, you got to know the word of God. You do. I remember my very first Bible. I grew up in the Roman Catholic Church, did not have a Bible, didn't even know you were allowed to, really, right? So my wife and I were dating back in the late 80s, early 90s. We go to a, um, uh, what was it, Easter sunrise service at SeaWorld in San Diego. They would rent out one of the 
animal stadiums, and they would do like sunrise. And she surprised me. She gave me a Bible, my very first Bible with my name on it, Lynn, my name in gold, like that gold lettering, right? Right, and I'm like, whoa, my own Bible. And then it's like, can I write in it? You know, and you start writing in it and highlighting, right? And then pretty soon, right, the cover starts to get frayed. And, but it's like, it's, it's cool because when you have your own Bible, like you can almost just turn to something, right? How many of you have got so familiar with the Bible, you're like, wow, right there, right? Or you take it to church and, and all, you take notes, right? It's like, I remember I would write notes when the pastor would say something in a verse. I'm like, how did he know? How, how he's talking, we, I just talked about this on Tuesday. How is he, you know, and I would circle it. How did he know, right? And then you go back years later and you're like, remember that note? You, how many of you have a Bible with highlights and notes and, right, circles, right? That's your sword. That's your sword. And over the years, God has been sharpening you and use how to use your sword, right? And so if, you're, if you have it, you're like, oh man, this is going on. Boom, I know where that is. Boom, I know that works, right? And so, I just want to encourage you. First definition of holding fast is to hold firmly to, to the word of God. How can you do that? Let me just uh, give you a couple of helps. Colossians 3. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That word, let the word of Christ dwell, it means take up residence, pitch a tent, inhabit let the word of Christ dwell in you, not just a little bit, richly, right? Abundance, large amount. So what you want to do, if you're going to hold the, word, the, the sword of the spirit, the word of God firmly, it's got to dwell in you richly, abundantly. You got to get into it. You just do, okay? It's a discipline. Yes, it means carving out an extra maybe 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Okay, it's a choice. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Where's the prosperity coming from? The word of God, being in the word of God, meditating on the word of God, right? Ray Pritchard says this. They prosper in the sense that no matter what happens, they find strength for the day and hope in the midst of the hardest difficulties. They bring forth godly fruit in good times and bad times. Why? Because they are planted deep in the good soil and their roots reach out to the water of the word of God. Finding constant nourishment therein, they can face whatever life throws at them. How many would like to be at that place? Spiritual prosperity, right? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Think about it, okay? And then finally, Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I love that picture, right? If it's pitch black and I'm holding a lamp, you know what? I'm holding it firmly. I'm holding it firmly. Nothing's going to take that away from you. I'm holding it firmly. Okay? Now, here's the thing, and this will lead us to the second part of the definition. When we hold this firmly, it's not just for me. I hold this firmly as part of my witness and testimony. What do I mean by that? The second part of hold fast, right, 
Philippians 2.16 is to hold forth. In the King James Version, it says this. Holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. So there's two points. When you hold fast to the word of life, one is hold firmly. Everyone say hold firmly. The second definition, and many people believe that this is actually more in context, is to hold forth. Everyone say hold forth. Okay, so when it comes to the Bible, you want to hold it firmly and hold forth. What does that mean? Hold forth. Well, in, in the secular Greek language of the time, to hold forth was to, someone, to, to offer someone food or wine. Hold forth. Here, take this. I'm, I'm giving this to you with the desire that you would take it, right? The other word picture is a torch, right? And so I thought, well, who's holding forth a torch? Well, that would be the good old Statue of Liberty, right? So we are not just to hold fast because we are in a spiritual war. We're to hold forth like a torch the word of God for the world, amen? It's not just for us. We're to hold it forth, right? It was interesting. I went to the National Park website, and there's a question. What does the torch represent? This is according to their website. The torch is a symbol of enlightenment. The Statue of Liberty's torch lights the way to freedom, showing us the path to liberty. Even the statue's official name represents her most important symbol, liberty enlightening the world, right? So the torch is all about freedom and liberty. Isn't that kind of what the Word of God is about? Right? Look at John 8, 31. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Amen? So in many ways, when we leave here, we're holding forth the word of God so people become free in Christ. Free from the penalty of sin, free from the power of sin. Amen? So we hold it firm, but we hold it forth. All right? Charles Spurgeon says this, you are to hold forth the word of life as men hold forth a torch. Your shining is largely to consist in holding forth the word of life. Okay? The life application commentary says this, Christians can develop a fortress mentality about surviving in a depraved world. Such a mindset prefers to withdraw into church or family, away from the evil world, shutting it out. But Paul didn't support a fortress mentality. Instead, he required believers to take the gospel out into the culture. It is a waste of energy just to leave a light on. Church people must help illuminate the way so that others can find Christ. Amen? So question, am I saying now, oh, now I got to go out immediately after here, I have to go share the Romans road, and I have to go share the four spiritual laws. Is this necessarily what they're saying? No. How do you hold forth the word of life? Witness, which means what? By the way you live. Holding forth, okay, this is, this is really important because, oh, the pastor, he holds forth the word Right? Oh, the Bible study leaders on Tuesday and Wednesday, they hold forth. The, no. The church holds forth the word of life by being the church and living godly lives. Amen? That's holding forth the torch. 
Your life is the torch. Showing people the way to Jesus, salvation, freedom, love, joy, peace, patience, everything. Your life is the torch. So turn to the person next to you and say, you're the torch. You're the torch. Right? Now, there's nothing wrong, okay? This is, again, how we compartmentalize things in the church. Mark's up here talking about going to Mexico and making a difference. And that's all well and good. I've built houses. I went down there before. All well and good. But in the church, in our compartmentalization, we go, oh, that's the torch people. I got to go to Mexico to be a torture. I'm just a little old me in Ojai, you know. I'm not a torch. Maybe I'm a little matchstick. I don't know, right? This little light of mine. Remember we did that last Sunday, right? We are called to be torches right now in this place, right where you live. You are called to be a torch for Jesus. We're to hold it firmly, and we're to hold forth the word of life, beginning in our homes and in Ojai, right here. But we somehow compartmentalize torch-bearing to everywhere but here. And that's what he's trying to dispel. That's what he's trying to dispel. Uh, A few Christmases ago, uh, I shared this verse with you from Titus 2, 9, and 10. It says this, Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith. He's talking about how slaves should live, right? Christian slaves. How are you supposed to conduct yourself? He says, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. When I shared this at Christmas Eve, I'd give out little ornaments. Because that word adorn is where we get the word cosmetic, okay? It's where you get cosmetic, It's where you get the word ornaments from trees. What's the whole idea of ornaments and making cosmetic? To make something look attractive. Why do you put ornaments on your tree? To make it attractive, right? What this verse is saying is that you and I, if we're going to just be torches here, we live lives that make the gospel attractive. So question, fellow torchers, fellow ornaments, Is your life making the gospel attractive? Right? Right? Because you've been like at Christmas, you you know, maybe you go see the lights or you see these trees where you're like, whoa, look at that tree. And what? Sometimes you see a tree and you're like, no, let's go take a closer look, right? Well, my hope and prayer is that all the ornaments here, right here and at home, are making people want to go look at Jesus a little closer. Amen? That's what this is right here. We're a collection of ornaments hanging on the gospel tree, hoping that the people who are walking by or you're going to meet or your coworkers want to take a closer look at Jesus. Amen? That's what we're talking about when we're talking about holding forth. Okay? A.W. Pink says this. There are others who give themselves unto the diligent study of doctrine, but... Generally, they fail to realize that the doctrine of Scripture is not a series of intellectual propositions, but is a doctrine which is according to godliness. The doctrine or teaching of God's holy word is given not for the instruction of our brains, but for the regulation of all the details of our daily lives. And this in order that we may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. 
You've heard me say this before. Shai, can I borrow your Bible since I'm on, I'm on an iPad? You've heard me say this before. The Bible was not given to us for information. It was given to us for transformation. If you're looking at the Bible primarily as just a history textbook, you miss the point. It's not designed primarily for information. It was designed for transformation, and the transformation equals holding forth torch. Amen? This is designed for transformation through the power of the Holy Spirit. How many of you can testify, can bear witness that you have been transformed by the word of God? If you have ever had a verse, something I say, something someone else says, or a verse or a podcast, and it zings you, and you're like, oh my gosh, and you make a change in your life because the Holy Spirit just like opened your eyes like, oh my gosh, I got to make a change. You know what that is? Transformation. And you know what that is? Holding forth and being a torch. In your own life. That's not even going to Mexico. That means I got to stop grumbling. There you go. Your torch just got brighter. Isn't that crazy? Your torch just got brighter because you decided to obey the word of God about grumbling. I love that. Okay? William Tom says this. Be careful how you live. You may be the only Bible some person ever reads. Think about that. Here's another poem. I am my neighbor's Bible. He reads me when we meet. Today he reads me in my house, tomorrow in the street. He may be relative or friend, or slight acquaintance be. He may not even know my name, yet he is reading me. You may be the only Bible some person ever reads. So you have a friend, relative, co-worker who's not a believer, but in the back of the mind, they're like, ah, oh, so-and-so, Bobby's a Christian, and I've seen him carry his Bible around. I wonder, what, I wonder what the Bible says about worry. Or Mark has a friend, and not a believer. He's like, man, Mark reads that Bible. I mean, okay. I wonder if the Bible says anything about fear, anxiety, or pride. Let me just look at Mark's life. I wonder what the Bible says about how to handle trials or tribulations. Let me look at Shiloh's life. I'm never going to church. I don't, I'm not even desiring to, to buy a Bible. I just want to know what the Bible says about. I wonder what the Bible says about marriage and how husbands and wives are supposed to conduct themselves. Well, let me look at Randy and Tracy's marriage. You see? They're reading us. They're not, they're not going to necessarily come through the door just yet. They're not even going to buy a Bible just yet. But if they're wondering if the Bible says anything about worry, fear, anxiety, pride, peace, hope, joy, grumbling, love, relationships, marriage, trials, tribulations, who are they reading? Those who profess to be living by the book. That's weighty. But it's also a great privilege because if you're doing your best and you're honoring God, you're holding forth the torch, right? And so I got a great story to tell because you're like, does that even happen, right? Does that even happen in 2022? Do people even wonder what's gotten into you? Well, lo and behold, it does. 
And I was so blessed. I just got to tell you, I was so blessed as a pastor and former youth pastor. Uh, I was talking with Jody this week, and he shared an incredible story about Sierra, his, his daughter at Nordoff. And, and I asked Sierra, I was hoping y'all would be here and I could ask permission to share this story. Uh, but it turns out that, uh, was it just recently, right? Recently, a week or two ago or something like that. Uh, Sierra was at Nordoff and she was in class. And one of her classmates said, why are you so positive and happy? And Sierra said, because of God. God gives me peace. When I'm going through hard times, I pray because of God. I hope that lights you because she's just living. She's just holding forth the torch. And one of her classmates says, I got to ask. There is something attractive with all the masks and everything going on at school and all everything going on, there is something attractive in Sierra's life. I gotta know. Amen? That's happening at your work. They're reading you and watching you. And I pray that everyone here and at home gets the same privilege that she did. Someone asks and you go, I don't know, it's God. Now she didn't get all theological and quote the King James, well thou shalt. And you need, she just said, it's God. He gives me peace. When I'm going through hard times, I pray. I got to believe, like, I don't know how it works in heaven, but I got to believe the angels were like, woo! I got to believe, right? There was celebration because at Nordoff in 2022, a follower of Jesus in a secular classroom gets to say, because of God. Amen? Now, let's just multiply that umpteen times by all of us in the community. Just go do that. And just keep your radar open for when someone asks you, when, when someone is drawn, right? I love this in 1 Peter 3.15 in the New Living. It says, and if someone asks about your hope as a believer, hey, always be ready to explain it. And here, I'm going to give you a great answer. Because you're like, what do I say? What do I say? Just say, Jesus. Okay, we're, we're going to practice that together. <laughs> because you get, well, what am I going to say? Four spiritual laws? Uh, 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 let, me, let, me, let me text the pastor. What do I say? They're asking me why I'm so happy. Okay, on the count of three, just say, Jesus. Ready? One, two, three. Jesus. There you go. Now, of course, what's probably gonna, they're going to cock their head and go, and then you continue. And the Holy Spirit will give you the words, amen? The Holy Spirit, right? I have had conversations over the years, and, you know, someone comes up, and the conversation starts to go, and I got to be honest with you, I am scared to death because I didn't know they were really interested, and my stomach's churning, and I'm like, Lord, you got to help me. You got to help me with this, right? And you know what? He does. You ever have a conversation with someone, and the Holy Spirit brings the verse that you didn't even know you knew, right? You're like, and they're like afterwards, like, oh, thank you so much. And they walk away, you're like, I have no clue how that came. You're like, you're like, yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, yeah. And deep down, you're like, that was a miracle, right? Well, there was a miracle that happened at Nordoff because she was simply being available and being a witness and letting her light shine. 
And it was attractive enough for someone to say, why are you so positive and happy? I love that. That is living. That's the Bible come to life, okay? Someone said, it's better to live one verse of the Bible than to recite an entire chapter. Right? It's better to live one verse. So if you took Philippians 2.14, do all things without grumbling or disputing. If you made that your verse for 2022, woohoo! Live it. Get it in there. Grow in that area. Much more effective to your witness than be able to memorize a whole bunch of verses that you're not applying. Okay? So again, Philippians 2.14 and 16. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Ultimately, guys, we want to point them to Jesus, the word of life. Romans ten seventeen. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. It is important to memorize scripture. Romans Road right, four spiritual laws. It's good. You got to point them to scripture. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we're saved by grace through faith, not by works, right? It's a gift of God. You need to know scripture. Why? Because this, when I'm dialoguing, let's say Lynn and I get into a discussion about the gospel of Jesus, and I am sharing scripture with him, he may not fully understand it, but when he leaves, the Holy Spirit can still work on him with the word of God. Amen? I don't have to debate. I don't have to try to dialogue, you know, out-argue him. I'm going to share the truth, and I'm going to pray that God, through the Holy Spirit, will work on his heart through the living word of God, the word of life, long after our conversation. Okay, it happened to me. When my friends, before I was a believer, they would come and they would share the gospel. I had no clue what they were talking about. But when they left, I would say, oh, what was that verse again? That guy, oh, God so loved the world. What? Oh, you know? It's the word of God. It's the word of God. So it begins with us. You know, you talked about it for our creed matching our conduct, right? What we say we believe matching our behavior. Walk the talk, right? Be witnesses, be torches by simply being consistent in your life. You're being consistent. There was an article, we'll close with this. There's an article in Breakpoint magazine entitled, Drawn to the Light, why Muslims convert to Christianity. In this article, Dr. Dudley Woodbury, a professor of Islamic studies, he was aware that throughout the world, Muslims have been turning to Christ and was curious about the reasons why, especially in countries where the cost of converting is so high. To find the answer, he created a detailed questionnaire. Over a 16-year period, some 750 Muslims from 30 countries filled it out, and the results are eye-opening. Here it is. The number one reason Muslim converts listed for their decision to follow Christ was the lifestyle of the Christians among them. The number one reason Muslim converts listed for their decision to follow Christ was the lifestyle of the Christians among them. Now just take out Muslim and just say this community What if the number one reason for people to come to Christ in the Ojai Valley (laughs) was the lifestyle of the Christians in the Ojai Valley? That's where it begins. 
This is where it begins, is how you and I are living, how we're bearing witness, what kind of torch do we have, just simply starting at home. Simply starting at home. And just a word of encouragement, as a former youth worker, youth pastor, I just want to encourage parents of young ones all the way through teens, one of the biggest challenges I had as a youth pastor in trying to really encourage students to follow Jesus was when they would come to me and say, yeah, but my parents. And then they would just share, you know, how different life was home than on Sunday church. And it really confused them. It really confused them because they were trying to figure out what I was teaching them on Wednesday or Thursday night with how the home life was at home and it wasn't consistent with the gospel. And it confused a lot of students. So a word of encouragement to you parents It begins at home. Be a torch, be a light, be a witness with your own kids. Let them see your lifestyle. Let them see the joy of the Lord in mom and dad. Not that you're perfect, not that you don't have your moments, but let them see how mom and dad as followers of Jesus resolve conflict. Let them see mom and dad live out Ephesians 5 in a marriage relationship because they're watching and they're reading you all the time. So just let it begin at home, whether you're, uh, even if you're single, let it begin just in your own life with your circle of friends, let it begin at your work. Just be a witness, right? And what did Jesus say? Hey, you know what? If you love me, the fruit of that is obedience. So really, love Jesus, amen? <laughs> love Jesus. Desire to honor and glorify Jesus. Just love him. And we'll close with this, and then Randy, you, you can come on up. Some of you are familiar with this poem, little, little poem by Paul Gilbert. You are writing a gospel, a chapter each day, by deeds that you do, by words that you say. Men read what you write, whether faithless or true. Say, what is the gospel according to you? So, Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are very clear. You give us practical steps to shine. We're to hold firmly to the word of life, to the word of God. We're to hold it firmly because we're in spiritual battle. But then we're to hold it forth. We're to be torchbearers. We're to live lives that are attractive to those who don't know Jesus. Thank you for the incredible example and testimony of Sierra and and just a reminder that you are alive and well in 2022 in the Ojai Valley. And there is such power in how we live our lives. Father, I am mindful of the people in the last 40 minutes who have driven by this church and have walked by this church and jogged by this church and they've seen a parking lot full of cars And in a little bit, they'll see a whole bunch of people eating coffee or drinking coffee, eating donuts out there, talking, laughing. I'm mindful of such a powerful witness in 2022. And then, Father, I'm I'm thankful for what you said in your word today because this world, this world is facing some very turbulent times. Globally, nationally, all the way down to our own personal struggles right now, battles. 
Father, thank you that we're to hold firmly and we're to hold forth. Light shines greatest in the darkness and the darkness that is just enveloped this globe presents an incredible opportunity for us to shine by simply following you, Jesus. There is a world in darkness, a world that is discouraged, a world that is scared. And they're reading us. They want to know if the Bible matters, if there's truth, if there's power, if this following Jesus thing is legit. So, Father, may our lives bear testimony to that. May we adorn the doctrine of the gospel. Father, we love you. You know each one here, so so speak to us individually. Help us to hold firm and to hold forth the word of life to a world that desperately needs to know Jesus. Amen. may be seated. Thank you, Lynn and Gloria. Um, Isn't it wonderful to sing of the goodness of God? Who likes singing of the goodness of God? Yes. Amen. Um, So um, it is time, kids, for... All right. Go on, kids, out the back door. Your teachers are waiting for you. All right. So uh, we've got some important announcements today. Um, You know, I was thinking about announcements. um, And honestly, I really hope that you enjoy them. um, Because what what announcements are really about is about us as a family. You know, we hear the teaching every week and we learn in scripture that our faith lives itself out in the things that we do. It lives itself out in Monday through Friday and Saturdays and Sundays in our living out our faith. And a lot of the announcements that we have are all about things that we do and can do as a family in living out our faith. And so it's important that you both listen and even celebrate and really relish. Announcement arts, not just information. This is life. This is what we do as believers to express God in us, through us, to our community. Um, So the first one is about giving. Uh, Giving, just a reminder, there's lots of different ways that you can give. Uh, This church is historically remarkably generous. You can give online, you can give here in the boxes, you can mail your offering in, whatever the Lord leads you to do. And we just want to remind you about that. Um, The second announcement is Matt and Aubrey are going to come up and talk about an event that took place yesterday that is a wonderful expression of faith in Jesus. Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, we were able to gather yesterday at Life Choices Pregnancy Clinic. Maybe I'm not speaking with it close enough. How's that? <laughs> Am I doing okay now? All right. So we were able to gather yesterday at Life Choices uh, Pregnancy Clinic here in Ojai, um, and it was a great gathering. We had a great turnout of folks. Um, that showed up. Uh, I just want to give a, a shout out to the donuts. Um, they did their job. Got got some got some men there to to see what was going on, and so we were able to meet with the staff there, see what they were doing, um, see what the work that they're doing in the community, 
and we're e even able to have a live ultrasound done there in the office, which is super cool. Uh, Danelle was brave enough to, to, uh, to show us her baby with, with, the, with the ultrasound, and she actually has the pictures of, of uh, their child uh, right here, if you want to see. So. And I was, I was stunned because I, I learned a lot yesterday. I learned the fact that they're, even, even with COVID, they're being really creative. They're getting out in the community. They have a ultrasound machine that is smaller than the microphone in my hand uh, that they go out, uh, plug it into an iPad, and can show people in a park uh, that the baby that's, that's growing inside them. It's pretty fascinating. Um, so... They, they're doing great work there at the, at the pregnancy clinic. It was uh, uh, just a blessing to hear what they had to say um, and also a blessing to hear the needs that they have. So uh, if you are interested, there's, there's plenty of uh, opportunities to go and assist them. Uh, please talk to either myself or Aubrey uh, about, about what's, what's out there. So I think that's it. <laughs> is, there, is there anything that you wanted to say? No, I just, I'm glad that it helped to raise some awareness, and I hope that as a church, we can continue to help raise awareness for what's happening in our valley and ways that we can get involved. So, that's it. Thanks. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Aubrey. So, uh, we've got another announcement about an upcoming event, uh, but we're going to watch a video before I tell you about it. Who's the better driver? Definitely me. Oh, no. Definitely me. <laughs> no. I'm better when that car's actually in drive, and she does pretty good when it's parked. <laughs> Who is more patient? Me. Oh, I don't you, know. Well, you deal with me. <laughs> Michelle. Okay, that was nice. <laughs> I try to be, but it just takes too long. Who does more household chores? Me. I made a commitment not to um, try to do everything. I do in my brain. Me. In my mind, <laughs> in I reality. do. No. It's not a chore when it's for your love. Is our house ever clean? I mean, no, it's not. it's not. Who's the better cook? If you're looking for an egg sandwich, it'd be me. You are? Yeah, I am. Am I bad at cooking? No, you're not bad at cooking. I'm just really good. Who said I love you first? I, I probably did. did. I was probably in trouble, and and I said, but I love you. He said, I want to marry you, and I said, I love you. <laughs> it was a better answer than, like, yes, because then I would have been like, oh, wait, now, now are we engaged, <laughs> or... Probably me, because I was in trouble for something. I'm sure that's what, what took place there. <laughs> what attracted you? Talking to you the first time. You were, like, kind of the punk that sat in the back of the classroom, so. And I pretended I didn't know you. Yeah. He was smart, cute, funny. She wore a blue dress one night <laughs> at the Dairy Queen. What's something your spouse does that annoys you? <laughs> <laughs> It's a trap. I'm trying to narrow down the list. She's nigh unto perfect. There's just so few things. It's hard to. It's hard to think. Um, it's the right. They're answer. all so minuscule. 
leave lights on in the house. <gasps> he turns off the light when I'm in the room. That's annoying. When he sings songs and adds lyrics that don't belong there, or mixes songs, or tries to sing in Spanish without using any Spanish words. I'm freestyling. <laughs> It's a craft. In the middle of the grocery store, too. Who hogs the remote? Not even a question. You can't hog the remote if you own it. It's called being the man in the house. I'm, they are my remotes. I let them borrow them sometimes. That's true. The remote is not a communal thing. It's That is private property. I picked the shows. She doesn't like my shows at all, ever. No, Nacho Libre is not an acceptable movie choice. It's the... <laughs> so, honey. Yes, hi. <laughs> we okay here? So, uh, who do you think is the better driver? Well, um, is this on? I think they even stand together. Um... Let's just say that your driving has increased my prayer life. Um, that there are many times that I'd haul to the Lord while you're driving for either safety or deliverance. Okay, so I'll take issue with that because Kathy's the kind of driver who in town, she, there is no speed limit in town. She just is like a jackrabbit in town and then she gets out on the freeway and she's that person that you can't wait to pass, you know? She's going like 55 miles an hour. But I do have to admit, um, she probably has more tickets, but I have more accidents. Okay, so uh, who's the more patient? You could answer that. Uh, that would be me. Do you agree? Whatever. Um, <laughs> next question. Okay, uh, and this one, was, this one was easy for us too. Who hogs the remote? I would say in my ideal world, I would have master of the remote 90% um, of the time. But I think it's about 50-50. All right, yeah. cool. So um, marriage. Marriage can be fun, and it can be funny, as you just saw some of those things take place. But seriously, marriage is the most important human relationship in God's creation, in God's economy, and God's purpose for humanity Marriage is that most important relationship. And the reality is, though, as you look around at yourselves, at married couples, there are a varying degree of success in how well we do it, and we all make mistakes, and we've got good parts, and we've got some maybe not-so-good parts in all of our marriages. That's perfectly normal. And all of us can learn. All of us can grow. All of us can improve. So to help do that, um, there is going to be a marriage class that uh, Kathy and I are going to be hosting and running. It's going to be uh, four Saturdays in March, March 5th, 12th, 19th, and 26th. Uh, it costs $40 for the materials, and we can explain more of that later. Um, it's going to be a very safe, a very non-threatening environment. Um, and so I guess that's kind of maybe more geared to the guys, you know, that uh, this is going to be a safe place to come and have an opportunity primarily with your spouse to talk about relationship and some ways that we can grow together. Um, so if you are interested in finding out more about this, 
Um, literally, right after service, we're going to meet over in the commons. Don't want to go into more details here. We'll give you more details and uh, help you learn how to register. Registration is going to close um, at uh, just in a, a couple of weeks because we're going to start this in March and we need to get after this soon. So um, hope you'll join us right after service in the commons. So, I just want to make a quick announcement about the book club coming up this Saturday, 10 a.m. here. Thanks. Okay, um, so the last announcement has to do with Mexico. Um, Mexico, we've, we've been talking about this. Uh, there's Lord Willing, a whole group of us who are going to go down to Mexico in May for a trip. And um, I, I think it's important, particularly because, frankly, there's a lot of people who are new. We went down to Mexico about a little less than a year ago, and we hadn't gone the year before that. Um, but I want to just tell you a little bit about um, YWAM, the group that we work with, and just educate you a little bit so it's not just this kind of uh, generic thing of people going down to Mexico. So let me just uh, tell you some facts and statistics. One, YWAM, Youth with a Mission, is the organization that we work with in going down to Mexico. They began in 1969. They have over two, I'm sorry, 1,200 um, locations. They call them bases all around the world. They work in 180 different countries, and they have over 18,000 people on staff. They're one of the largest missional and gospel evangelical organizations in the world. Homes of Hope, which is a ministry of a YWAM base that is in San Diego, is the program that we go down into Mexico and build homes uh, with. That program has been in, in place about 30 years. They have built over 7,000 houses in 24 different countries, and they've hosted more than 130,000 volunteers like the people who go from the Ojai Valley. So that's just the context in which we're working down there. But let me tell you a little bit about why we do this. Um, so, Isla, you could put up that first slide. Um, the need. Let's talk about the need. Why is a home critical to a very impoverished Mexican family? A child without a home is three times more likely not to attend school. So giving them a home can turn that around. Children without adequate shelter suffer more from anxiety, depression, withdrawal, and other mental health problems. One in four Mexicans are classified as extremely poor and unable to afford adequate food or housing. 45% of the 127 million people in Mexico live below the poverty line. And by 2020, over 1 billion people in the world will be living in slums with inadequate housing. So what are the benefits that help a family when we go down and build a, a, a home at no cost to that family? First, there's a, an economic benefit to that family. A debt-free home helps leverage families out of poverty. It's estimated that it sets a family ahead economically between seven and 10 years from their normal tra trajectory in life. Educationally, children who come back to a home that their parents own are three times more likely to stay in school. Health, a home with a solid floor, just a cement floor. There's no carpeting, there's no tile. Just having a floor reduces parasitic in infections by 78%. It reduces diarrhea by 49% and dramatically improves cognitive development in children. 
Home ownership produces healthy long-term thinking in the life of the family, helping to break the cycle of poverty in one generation, transforming their thinking. And lastly, spiritual. We go down there in the name of Jesus. All the work that we do is in the name of Jesus. The work that we do with YWAM is through local churches. Families are selected in, co- in, in cooperation with local pastors and local churches. So the entire effort is done in the context of the gospel and the church. And the gift of that home that on land that the family owns is a practical demonstration of God's love to an impoverished family. So again, we're going down in May. Um, I hope that you will just consider uh, coming, uh, consider supporting. We'll talk more about that as the uh, trip approaches and be praying for us. This is something that we do as a family. Maybe there's only 15 or 20 of us who go, but this is something that all of us are in together. So um, thank you for that. And I'm going to pray before Richie comes up. Lord, thank you. Thank you so much for everything that you have done for us through your son, Jesus Christ, and in us. Lord, we look forward right now to just hearing your word, hearing your truth. Will you just open our ears right now, Lord, open our hearts to hear from you what you want to speak to each of us, what you want to do in each of us. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.